On another exciting entry of Animation Deliberation, we continue our coverage of Young Justice Season 3, Outsiders. It's part three as we, you know, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. We know Season 4 is out. We are trying to get through our coverage fast and furiously. Thank you for your patience. All that right after some ads we have no control over. You're invited to take a vacation from everybody else's vacation to a place where you can explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and see a 65-foot waterfall that once powered an old mill that you can walk through today. Or just float along the cool, rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. See the places and plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdooradventure. Mississippi. Wanderers welcome. You're invited to explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and float along the rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. Plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdooradventure. Mississippi. Wanderers welcome. Sing along if you know the words. A one, two, three, it's time for animation deliberation. A conversation and a celebration of our favorite action animated series. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Welcome back, folks. It's Animation Deliberation, the podcast that takes action animation and cartoons seriously, but not too seriously. I'm J. Scotty St. Clair, and coming in with the baritone there is Mr. Zuhair Ali. What's up, my friend? How are you? I'm hanging in there having some eight o'clock coffee. How about yourself? Uh, I don't have any coffee by me, but uh, yeah, I'm similarly hanging in there. It's a surprisingly hot day for our late October. It's pretty crazy to think Halloween's just a few days away and um thinking about my costume, it's making me sweat more than I am already. <laughs> Ooh, we got uh we got clouds and sixty degrees over here, so Ooh. very happy. All right. All right. Well I'll do my best to stay whelmed. Ah, but yep, so we are gonna be uh continuing our coverage of Young Justice, as I mentioned, all of that in preparation for Young Justice Season 4, which is currently airing on HBO Max. We're very excited about that. Uh, we're going to be talking about episodes 13 through 21. But before we get into all that, there's a little bit of housekeeping to do. We have some feedback to address as well as a review. One of our lovely five-star reviews from our treasured listeners. And Zuhair, you have that prepared for us, don't you? Uh, yep. You know, cool. we're going to be talking a lot about DC. So let's get some love from the Marvel end real quick. Uh, Joe McStuffins tells us the podcast has been consistently strong. I'm really loving their coverage of what if I tune in after each episode. They have such great insights into the stories, but even better is their discussion of the animation style. This was barely on my radar until they taught me how to think about it. Guest Andrew has deep knowledge about so many nerd things and has made the show even stronger. Uh, thank you for that, Joe. I'm glad we could uh, mix stuff some good content in your ears. <laughs> uh, that really means a lot. You know, one of the the goals, like personally for this show, is that you know people get the opportunity to enjoy good story and look past the fact that it's animated content. So I'm glad that uh, we're helping you enjoy that stuff. Yeah, I 100% agree. We we say that we take it seriously, and to get feedback like that just makes me feel pretty good about you know the approach that we're taking here and i, I love the shout out to andrew I, I absolutely love having him on and introducing his voice he's definitely very well spoken and passionate about this stuff so 
any opportunity we get to have Andrew back on, we certainly will. And we thank him for uh, being a valued member of the show so far. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah. And thank you, Joe, for your feedback. Of course. Yeah. Thank you, Joe. So uh, on the subject of reviews, before we move on from that entirely, we did have our September contest, the Strand of Panda Network, all nine shows had a month long contest in which if you submitted a five star review, you were submitted into a drawing to win your choice of an Oculus Rift 2 or a Nintendo Switch. And the winner was announced last week on the Marvel Cinematic Universe excuse me, the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast, the MCU podcast, the flagship show here. And that winner was Purple Llama 63. So Purple Llama 63, if you have not already reached out to the folks at the MCU cast, please do so. And thank you for participating. Thank you to everybody that left us a review. Our growth was huge. All right. So with review stuff out of the way, let's uh, move on to that feedback. And one of our tried and true listeners here, TJ Stafford, uh, Shout out to TJ. We know that you are currently watching Young Justice Season 4 as it airs, so thank you for your patience and thank you for all the feedback you've submitted so far. But uh, this particular feedback uh, pertains to something we brought up on our Part 2 coverage, so Zuhair, whenever you're ready for that. TJ, can't wait to talk to you about Season 4. Thanks for uh, constantly putting messages into the SP chat to intrigue some, you know, hopefully get some new watchers of such a great show. Uh, You're not alone. You're not alone. But as I've stated multiple times, uh, I do not read comics, and I'm very limited on a lot of these characters. So when we were confused about a few of them, TJ was nice enough to write in and uh, give us a little bit of background of his exposure to these characters, because I didn't look into them. Uh, So TJ says... (laughs) I'm not a comic expert, so I'm just going to mention other on-screen portrayals that I've seen. Steel is by far the more well-known of the two. The first time I saw him was in Superman the Animated Series. I believe he was a former LexCorp employee who was saved by Superman and decided to become a hero himself. He builds an Iron Man-style suit and becomes an ally of Superman. He is also in a few episodes of Justice League Unlimited. He's also a main character in the Reign of Superman movie in the New 52 animated continuity and a main character of the Superman and Lois show on the CW. I know a lot less about Metamorpho. My only exposure to him is he has a two-episode arc in the first season of Justice League. He's an old military buddy of Green Lantern, Jon Stewart, who was experimented on by Simon Stagg against his will and turned into Metamorpho. He can stretch and shapeshift, as you saw, but he can also transmutate into various chemical compounds. You probably learned all this since you recorded this episode, but I figured I'd share what I know anyways. TJ Stafford. Actually, no, you filled us in. So thank you so much, yeah. and please keep writing in. Yeah, yeah, I do appreciate that. The one thing that kind of stuck out to me um, in pertaining to the metamorpho uh, tidbits there is that he mentioned Simon Stagg was the one that's uh, responsible for the experimentation. And with Branchwater already being mentioned uh, earlier on in the season, it kind of makes me wonder, will metamorpho just kind of be like a one-off, like little nod to the fans, or could he potentially be coming back? I mean. Uh, at this point in time, I don't think so, but we'll we'll get into that as we talk about these later episodes that are kind of coming to a head. I'm trying to remember when Simon Stagg was brought in. Uh he's it's very it's he's it's kind of like almost done like via montage when they're it's like when Aqua Aquaman, uh Wonder Woman, and Dick are all kind of uh talking it was in triptych when they're talking about how they're various 
operations mm-hmm. kind of uh, came together to reveal branch water and, and Simon stag industries. He's just kind of seen being apprehended there, but then, Oh, he gets killed by, by shade at the end of it. Doesn't he? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, he's probably not coming back, but maybe, maybe his, uh, <laughs> his business or like the ramifications of his experimentations potentially could. Yeah. I'll hopefully see metamorpho more. Cause yeah. Pretty... Hopefully you can yeah. see some metamorpho. Um, <laughs> yeah steel was steel was briefly in reign of superman hopefully we okay. can cover those movies one day because that was a great great cinematic universe like they had 19 movies like i i thought that was more on par with mcu than um the actual dceu was uh yeah had yeah. a lot of great movies especially justice league dark which is one of my all-time favorites yeah yeah i would i look forward to tackling all those and those will be a little bit easier just to kind of do like we could do cast about like movies and almost kind of do it as a review and a discussion there that that's a little bit easier than taking on a um a whole season at a time but uh, yeah i think the only one that i've seen more than once and could like right now speak with any like level of uh like real knowledge to is the flashpoint paradox which i think was like the first Mm-hmm. of all those new movies okay yep. that's what i thought okay cool yeah all right well we are here to talk dc but not that particular branch of the dc multiverse we're getting back into young justice outsiders and we pick up pretty much right where we left off uh with you know the last episode we covered was nightmare monkeys where beast boy uh basically gets the knowledge that gretchen goodness and the good goggles are basically no bueno and he's going to get back in the fold and uh help our heroes so uh, we pick up from there with true heroes and this is basically where they they rescue brion's sister tara they do an undercover operative uh mission in is it in markovia or is it uh bialia i think it's bialia i think it was Bialia. okay yeah so other than, like I mentioned, uh, Tara being saved by the end and, and being uh, in the fold there at the end, the one of the big takeaways for me was that uh, the ringleader of the whole like fight and auction that was going down, Mr. Bliss, that was a character that I wasn't familiar with as well. But um, until I saw his name pop up on the subtitles, I actually thought it was like a new version of the Joker because we talked about in how season one, that version of the Joker wasn't necessarily either one of our favorites. And I yeah. thought this version of Mr. Bliss actually looked a lot like the Joker, Jared Leto's Joker from uh, the Suicide Squad, or Suicide Squad 2016 one with the slick back hair and the the tux and whatnot. I don't know what you, if you had any feelings about that character of the episode overall. Um, What caught my eye more than him were the bitters seemed to be from the Court of Owls, which oh, yeah. is like this, you know, underground influential group of immortal puppet masters in a way they kind of like mm-hmm. orchestrate what happens in gotham to like how they wanted to and right. it's a whole thing and they didn't quite dwell into it but for them to have the money to bid on metahumans and the mass and stuff was really fascinating so i wasn't i wasn't as focused on mr bliss i just thought he was uh you know a clown doing his thing for sure um, that's, that's fair no, I, uh, I guess I just didn't give him more attention than I figured I thought he needed, but the the whole like Court of Owls reference and seeing the mass was pretty cool. 
Yeah, no, that's a great call. And I, I'm trying to remember, was Court of Owls actually ever said out loud? I don't Mm-mm. think it was. I, no, okay, very good then, yeah. No, I'm assuming it was them because of the masks. Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. And also, uh, Tara was a Tara was a really interesting thing because she was a big character in Teen Titans. Right. But I'm so used to hearing Tara that throughout mm. this whole series, when they say Tara, like with an accent mm. and everything, it never even occurred to me. Like, I'm looking at Geoforce's powers and everything, and it's like, it's still not ringing to me. Like, oh, it's the same Tara. And you kind of have an idea of, like, where her story is going to go because of Teen Titans. And, but just because of that little accent change from going from Tara to Tara, like, yeah. it totally <laughs> went over my head until I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. And I, I will probably end up going back and forth on my pronunciation of, of Tara and Tara. So forgive me if that's something that, uh, is a is a tick for you but uh I, I guess the other thing worth mentioning to me is the title i always appreciate when they have like these titles with like multiple meanings and whatnot so obviously with true heroes we have our heroes kind of doing more subterfuge and espionage things but then when they get that opportunity to reveal their masks and uh be true heroes but on the other side of the thing uh with violet basically learning that she doesn't always have to be like an out there in the field with Brion, like her service, her act of being a hero can be, you know, just to uh, help Victor Stone and and help him come to terms with, you know, what he's dealing with. She seems to be the only one that's able to snap him out of his uh, technology rage thing. Yeah. <laughs> Episodes. What were you saying? I just called it a psycho state. Yeah. 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 Can we talk about how amazing the music is whenever he goes into that state though hmm i'm that, not sure like, if, if i picked that psycho it's... dubstep this just oh yeah yeah Ooh, okay. there's something about it that just like it really gets me on the edge of my on my seat and just gives me like the heebie-jeebies like whenever that music <laughs> drops i'm like oh shit's about to go down nice nice now, it's one of those things I need to do a better job of paying attention to the music of the show, but it's I, I think it's worth noting that it's been so good and effective that I've I've just always kind of been sucked in. I think if it was bad, I'd probably be paying more attention to it, but it's usually just doing what it's supposed to do and creating the mood and just sucking you into what's going on with the characters and the action. So um, I agree with you there. Now that you're bringing it back up, I do get kind of reminiscent, like really bass heavy kind of dubstepy yeah. um, industrial sounds, which yeah is super fitting. And then, I guess the the last little thing um, about True Heroes is that with Tara, aka Tara, being rescued, we get the question of whether or not she's actually a true hero because she starts um, communicating. I I don't think they waste any time letting you know that she's communicating with Deathstroke. Actually, no, that's one of the things that's just been a constant between her character in Teen Titans in the uh, the Titans movie with the animated universe that we were talking about before. Like that's just a common thing of her character that she's tight with Deathstroke, but the, um, the nature of the relationship kind of depends on the content that's covering them. Cause in the other movie, it was just creepy. Um, <laughs> and it was really weird, dude. It crossed a couple lines. Um, but in Teen Titans, it was more like, you know, mentor status and, you know, we're, we're going to dwell a little bit into uh, how they do this one, but yeah, that's just kind of like a constant. It's it's for, for our MCU fans. It's a fixed point in the timeline that she 
she works with Deathstroke a lot. Mm, yeah. Okay. Well, at the uh, the point we are with like having watched through episode twenty one, it's it's been one of those things that they've definitely continued, but it hasn't really necessarily. We haven't had a it's the word I'm looking for. It hasn't come to a head. There hasn't been a big blow up within the team learning about her communicating with him, but I'm very ex- excited to see when it finally does, especially with Brion. He's already kind of been jaded by one of the people he cares about a lot in his life, uh, but we'll get into that. All right, so we can move on to episode 14, Influence. Do you kind of want to take the lead on this one? I mean, yeah, it's one of the cool things where we got to see more about what the Justice League has been up to. And they're on their mission trying to deal with the stuff on Earth, but they're still dealing with the ramifications of what happened in season two, where they just like went on a rampage and like people still don't trust them. Mm. Um, So not only is Earth making their job difficult, but so is the rest of the universe. They can't even like follow the follow these leads and actually do their job because of all the negative ramifications of what Savage did to them. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's that was all the way back in season one, and we're still dealing with the fallout for, for that. So, yeah, I just always I continue to be impressed just how long sighted Vandal was with with all his scheming and manipulations there. Uh, but yeah, just kind of again speaking to like the the title of influence. Obviously, everything you just brought up about like the league's influence not only on Earth but out in space. But also you have like this um, through line with Garfield and Beast Boy having been, you know, in the public limelight and and, and being a TV actor and actually, um, you know, having that social media presence. It's been one of those things like a lot of the episodes uh, end on Beast Boy kind of like checking his various like heroics and what kind of social media response they're getting. So I, I appreciate that aspect of it well as well i mean it came out in 2019 i think in the previous episode social media was becoming a thing but it wasn't quite the cultural uh touchstone that it is these days for lack of a better way of saying it yeah they definitely put uh more emphasis on it this episode just kind of showing how much of a reach that he has um Mm -hmm. and this whole section put together I'm trying to think of like how to word this without sounding political at all, but it it covers a lot of social issues. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to dive too into it, but there really was a little something for everyone in okay. this. Um we had dialogue of Halo um not knowing if she's a she or he because she's like her own thing now right um we have a big reveal with aquaman and his new partner yeah yeah they're doing a lot of uh cultural characters we have another native american we have another hispanic character Mm -hmm. uh we have an indian character which i got excited about as soon as i heard that accent i Mm -hmm. was like all right uh so it's it's cool it's cool how how cleanly they incorporated everything mm-hmm. but it wasn't like overwhelming at all it's just kind of like hey this is these characters this is what they do uh enjoy the rest of the show yeah i, I think especially with 
Aquaman and his new relationship. They play it in this episode, especially super subtly. But yeah, uh, yeah, I, I really like what you bring up about Violet, especially. I mean, she's undergone so much and the fact that like, yeah, she is. I mean, just a regular human can have these kind of questions, too. But just the fact that she's like inhabiting the resurrected body of a deceased person who's some of her memories she still gets and then just being the essence of a mother box combined like yeah there's obviously you don't fit into the typical binary uh, definitions that we've grown so accustomed here in our earth-based society so it's nice when the show's dealing with such larger than life things that can kind of um, find moments to be both um, topical and uh, poignant, I will say. Yeah, but just how how clean and smooth and appropriately they did it all, like that. Def- DC deserves an applause for that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the other part of the episode, which is not nearly as as poignant at all, and it's kind of funny, is is Guy Gardner. I've heard a lot about Guy Gardner and been <laughs> a, kind of exposed to him here and there, but this was honestly one of my biggest exposures to him, and he totally yeah. is just. He's like everything about Metamorpho, but in the wrong way. It's like he doesn't know when to stop. <laughs> I love that description because like whenever he pops up on screen in the most minute ways, I think of the first season when they're trying to like induct new members and they were like, what about Guy Gardner? And both oh, yeah. the Landers just go, no. Right. Right off the bat. No conversation. We have no reason why. And then it's just entertainingly stupid dialogue in this just makes us go. Oh, that's why <laughs> they're like, mm. we don't want to be a lantern with him and a leaker with him. Please don't let him in. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. He's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciated the little bit of time we got to spend with him, but I could see how he could, uh, his welcome could wear pretty thin pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to see mm. more Metamorpho. I think I saw enough of Guy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Don't tell Guy that, though. (laughs) All right. Anything else you wanted to bring up about uh, episode 14, Influence? It still shows to why this is my favorite Superman. Not super overpowered. You see he's kind of on the same wavelength as Wonder Woman and Hawkman and Hawkwoman. Like, sure, he's probably, like, a little bit stronger, but it's not like, oh, well, since Superman's here, we got nothing to worry about. Uh, Always a... respect and appreciate that the show did that for Superman because it makes him more intriguing of a character when you actually see him in pain and actually see him try to fight through stuff. Uh, so, yeah, great fight scene. We're seeing more of Darkseid's influence and his power and uh, his range and uh, you know, yeah. I'm excited to see him as more of a presence as the big bad. Nah, I'm actually super glad that you brought up Superman because one way or another it led my thoughts back to Lex Luthor and I would be remiss if I didn't bring up the fact that we got a great line from Lex Luthor in this one where he says, who watches the Watchmen, which is, I'm a big Watchmen fan. So even as on the nose as it was, it was just, it, it was appropriate. So I, I really appreciated it. I'll watch that movie one of these days. <laughs> Read the graphic novel, then watch the movie. And is it like a one shot th- thing? Yeah. Yeah. So it was a, just a graphic novel. You can sit down. Uh, it might take a day or two to read, but yeah, you can read it in like one sitting and get the full story then and there. But it is really a, uh, just a 
quite the experience. It's not like anything else I've read. And it is one of the, like, we're going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but it, it in a lot of ways, it was like an unfilmable film and like the adaptation. I like Zack Snyder's um, film, especially the director's cut, but he did the best that he could, but it's, it really is just a super, super difficult source material to adapt everything that it does all the themes and like the different ways like because it it'll do things where it like dives back into the past and like you're reading excerpts from somebody's journal or news clippings and the next thing you know you're just like back in a regular comic book and whatnot but i do think that hbo uh series that came out a couple years ago probably did the best job of like capturing that uh the vibe and the and the themes of of watchmen i never got past the first episode of that oh really i highly recommend that one but Anywho, that's a whole nother side of the DC multiverse that uh, if they actually I'm trying to think, is there much in the way? We can get source pages to cover that one day. Yeah, yeah, that'd be good. And then uh, DC would kind of be it's one of those things. I think they they feel they don't want to, like, create ill will amongst the fandom by, like, putting too much Watchmen out there too quickly. But I have to imagine it's only a matter of time before an animated film or series uh, probably gets tackled. They've, they've been doing a good job of like threading them back into the, into the comics world to, yeah. you know, mixed reception. We will see. We will see. All right. So episode 15 is leverage. And we get the return of some, uh, staple characters to young justice they don't show up in every episode but they show up every season one way or another and that's uh the onslaught group always always nice to see them and see how they've uh updated alongside our our heroes and those those uh the terror twins i never never cease to be amazed by how much tommy terror has grown <laughs> since that first season yeah, they do a really good job at showing their growth and development over the years. Like the the dialogue between Superboy and Junior was so good. It's like I still never forget how you took my girl. But then they're just like, oh, "Hey, I'm engaged." And I was like, "Oh man, I'm so happy for you!" Like while they're beating each other up. Yeah, that like, was probably... I don't know how to feel about this. <laughs> I love it, but it's so weird. Yeah, yeah, I that got a, a good laugh out of me as well. Uh, but in addition to the onslaught being back in the fold, we do get another team that we've not seen in the world of Young Justice. But anybody familiar with DC is probably familiar with Task Force X, aka Suicide Squad. So uh, this time around, we see Black Manta and Captain Boomerang as members of the Suicide Squad working for Amanda Waller. So that just kind of speaks to that whole title again there, Leverage. Amanda Waller always has her leverage over her task force operatives. And then by the end of the episode, she actually has uh, leverage over Aquaman. And then I guess if you really uh, want to follow it all the way through, Granny Goodness clearly has her leverage over uh, Peace Boy. Yeah. I like the, that they threw in Artemis's dialogue of like checking to see, like, wait a minute, I thought that they were in prison. Hmm. And actually, you know, that little nod of like, yeah, these are prisoners that are being used and it's just like they're being put out under the radar. Yeah. It's 
one of those things a lot of times you know amanda waller is more sadistic than some of the worst villains yeah yeah they call her the wall for a reason <laughs> i like black manta too so it was cool seeing him yeah uh, I'm trying to recall. I know he and Calder had an exchange in which. Calder oh, man, I was, was hoping you remembered that line because I couldn't. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, unfortunately, I, I can't and didn't get to write it down. I'm, I'm coming off of uh, having seen a lot of these episodes just the one time, too. And it's there's been a little bit of time removed. But I know they any time that they get to interact, like it always sets up Caldor for a nice like basically black man is like, I expected such and such and such out of you. And then. Calder gets to be like, well, then you should be pretty proud because I basically just kicked your ass. So. Yeah. Man, yeah. it was such a good line. Dang it. Uh, I can't remember what it was. Should we pause to look uh, it I'll up? I'll see if I can find it later and edit it, edit it in. Which episode was this? Episode. Uh, this was 15. Leverage. While you're looking that up, I'm, I am remembering as I'm kind of like um, mulling over the episode. That's We do get the reintroduction of Eduardo who has the teleportation powers and he's kind of working as a mentor to like a new group of, of meta humans. We've already seen a few of them uh, with mist and live wire, but then there's this uh, new Australian girl that he seems to have a strong connection to. And uh, she's not about wearing that inhibitor collar. She sees it as like basically being a, a pet and it's kind of a heartbreaking moment where she, learns that she doesn't have full control of her power she basically sucks all the oxygen out of the room and then she basically becomes like a broken person and like has to submit to wearing this inhibitor collar and actually feels like a pet it's pretty heartbreaking to see yeah that definitely was especially you know without you know just kind of like the nature of teenagers too of just like i can do this i don't need lessons whatever i'm good it's like no you kind of do need help and that's okay Mm. I found the line. Okay, what you got? So Black Manta says, Calderon, seeing you in those colors turns my stomach. Calderon says, then it is fortunate you cannot see them from your prison cell, Father. There it is. (laughs) I see the waters in Atlantis boiling from that burn. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Now, uh, this isn't the episode... Where static is like, I need to get a girlfriend, is it? That's not till later. <laughs> no, that was the one that you were just talking about, though. <laughs> okay, okay. All right. Um, I'm trying to think. Is there? Yeah, anything... this was the Rocket Red Brigade, where we have Russia's version of the Justice League, but it's basically just a bunch of Iron Man honors, armors. Yeah, yeah. Excuse me. Yeah, basically your Crimson Dynamos, where they're, and it's actually nice to see like the heroes. We talk, we make the comparisons to the MCU and like the Sokovia Accords and whatnot, like dictating when and where the heroes can respond. And it's it's actually nice to see that question get brought up a little bit. Like, hey, if Russia wants to have their own version of the Justice League, that's not really our business. Yeah, like I, let them do yeah. it. Like until we have a reason to step in. Like, mm-hmm. who are we to step in right now? But then. Amanda Waller decided that she wanted to step in. You know, it's the the um the Nick Fury Steve Rogers line of like, you know, who are we to decide like who to stop before they're even a threat? Mm. And that's the mind you know, Amanda Waller is 
Fury in this instance where the team is cap like no yeah. like that's not right and they were actually fighting for the rocket red brigade which they didn't right. see beforehand but it was nice for them to be like well this isn't our mission but it's the right thing to do so let's mm. let's help this country kind of you know do what they're actually putting their time and resources for and it kind of puts them on good terms too because like why would they want to fight the justice league for any reason if they're like on good accords with them yeah all valid, and I'm I'm just kind of glad that the show decided to explore it, even if it didn't go super deep into it. It's nice just to get a, a little bit of an acknowledgement there. Uh, I other thing I think is worth mentioning is with Violet's exposure to some of these criminals, it uh, brings up some memories from her life as Gabrielle, and it kind of starts the the beginning of the end for Brione and. Violet in terms of their relationship because she finds out Gabrielle actually worked in the Markovian palace as like a servant of some kind and she was paid off to like unlock the door that allowed the speedster metahuman the Karaki Karaki speedster that came in and killed Brion's parents he learns that actually she waits to tell him but she's she's starting to struggle with that knowledge anyway yeah especially because she has to tell Tara now too hmm they yeah. Briolet? Is that the couple name? Briolet? Briolet? Yeah. I like it. Hmm. Works for me. I'm trying to think of what his last name is. It's... Markov? Is it Markov? Brion Markov? Bri- oh, yeah. Brion Markov. That's Markovia Markov. Uh, it's kind of weird. It is Brion Markov, though. Huh. Whatever. Uh, anything else for leverage here that you feel is worth bringing up? Uh, Captain Boomerang can't seem to stay off of the team. Oh yeah, Captain Boomerang is a Task Force X staple, pretty much. Yeah. Crikey, are they surrendering? What a bunch of losers. (laughs) (laughs) Those losers just forced our retreat. Trust me, they should not be underestimated. (laughs) Oh yeah. I should pull the lines up more often. You should, you should. Or write them down or have a little log or something like that i mean yeah the dialogue on this show is i mean yeah speaking to the music the dialogue it it all just works in such unison and creates such a nice cohesive end product and uh, like with the animation and whatnot as well like i i brought up on one of our recent coverages is we've started to tackle more shows and get gotten different styles of animation and whatnot that's just one of the things i appreciate about young justice it's not the most complex but there's just a through line and like a commitment to the continuity like that's what just like it never breaks or takes you out of it and uh just really appreciate it It makes it a a lot of fun to watch is that what you appreciate about them (laughs) oh look episode 16 letter kenny belongs everywhere there is a letter kenny animated series little kenny it's not very good but if we need an excuse someday, maybe we could make that happen. <laughs> okay. Anything else for uh, leverage? No. Okay. You're invited to take a vacation from everybody else's vacation to a place where you can explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and see a 65-foot waterfall that once powered an old mill that you can walk through today or just float along the cool, rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. See the places 
and plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdoor adventure. Mississippi, wanderers welcome. Onward to episode 17, first impression. And uh, I did get the log line for this one because I just, I think it's one of the more well-written ones, especially for anybody that's like, first watched the show from the beginning. And it's, the Reach are back, terrorizing small town America, dot, dot, dot. Unless the outsiders can stop them. Bum, bum, bum. There we go. So finally, season three, Outsiders. We know why it's called that for sure. I mean, we knew. We knew. We knew. <laughs> I'll pretend I knew. I totally forgot, but sure, we knew. Uh, well, I mean, along the way, it was it was kind of obvious they were picking up like outsiders, like uh, Violet and Brion being, you know, exiled from Markovia and, and Karak, and then Forager from New Genesis and whatnot. So yeah. they're picking up their outsiders along the way, and and this is their first official mission. Yeah, because Garfield doesn't want to be on the secret team. He's like, nope, I'm used to being a TV star. Let's just put my name everywhere. Yeah, and speaking of, I, I forgot was we're mentioning all these like outsiders that get collected. Uh, Cyborg is chief among them as well. And uh, with Beast Boy having been part of the show for so long, he's been kind of absent for season three. But right as like Victor is really becoming a part of the team, Beast Boy's back in it. And I'm already excited. You know, just given their history with with Teen Titans, you're already talking about Terra, aka Tara, but the relationship between Beast Boy and uh, Cyborg is one of the the best things that the DC Young Heroes yeah. verse has going for it. I think. And I, I forgot to mention it earlier, but when uh, when Beast Boy uses the money from Granny Goodness's contract uh, to make a home base, that's basically Titans Tower right they yeah, made that call. without saying that which i thought was really cool and even the the titans series on hbo max has a titans tower as well so it's cool seeing like the third rendition of that but this one you know was was as close as teen titans as they could get it wasn't a giant t in the middle of an island it was an actual like building but mm-hmm. you know it was, it was real cool seeing how he put that money into the team like uh like how bruce wayne would have um, but also they established that, um, you know, they, they asked that they asked them like, Hey, do you want to be an outsider or do you want to be on the team? Because there's two different things. And oh. Violet, Forger and Tara are all on the team. And the outsiders now consist of Beast Boy, Kid Flash, Static, Wonder Girl, Blue Beetle and Geoforce. Yes, yes. Uh, little little marker here. I uh, realized when I took my notes here, I completely uh, skipped over episode sixteen. So we can just finish talking about episode seventeen. Yep, and I was to gonna it. say it, but you were in the middle okay. of your intro thing, so I was like, I'll try to lean back into it later. <laughs> okay, I appreciate it. Yeah, I just I don't know if I deleted it on accident or just completely skipped over it, but yeah. Anyway, yeah, you were in the zone, so I figured I would just try to bait it back in. I appreciate it. Yep. <laughs> I appreciate it. All right, let me get back on track here. So I was talking about Titans Tower and who was on the team. And Mm -hmm. then we were talking about the Reach Bugs attacking and that whole thing. Yeah, well, originally the Reach are blamed for it, but it was actually perpetrated uh, by who? 
Batman. Bum bum bum. Da na 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 na. Bum bum bum. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's got his. Uh, was it Inner Gang? I think so. Yeah, yeah. The crew of. Uh, who yeah. is it? Ugly and Whisper Adair. Yeah, we saw them uh, all the way back in season two. They were those ones that were like first messing with the Appalachian technology, right? Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So nice to see the uh, the continuity there as well. It was cool yeah. seeing all those. <laughs> I, I love the Irish accent. So hearing all those accents because they were in Ireland was entertaining for me. <laughs> yeah but this is the first time that they were actually like you know film doing their thing and being heroes and oh uh, right batman and companies actually like put staging this up to make them look good but they don't know that they think they're just doing a really good job which they are all talented in their in their own means but this was kind of the win the wind to kind of get the ball rolling and um this little underground crew of batman wonder woman and Nightwing is kind of like indirectly using the outsiders to push their agenda without them knowing in classic Batman fashion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We got episode 16 of season three illusion of control, which is kind of the quote unquote Thanksgiving episode. Always nice to see Bart Allen return. And this is where we get, yeah, this is where we get static, static shock back in, in, into things. And he gets that recurring joke where he really needs a girlfriend. <laughs> I love how he counts. He's like, I don't want to be a seventh wheel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. We got Gar and uh, Queen Perdita still together. Uh, Beetle is with, was it 13? Yeah, yeah, he's uh, yeah, that's his his girlfriend there. That's the one that we she was present on the battle in space. I remember we got to see just a little showcasing of her powers there, but we definitely had yeah. questions. And she's cute. She's uh, enthusiastic. Her uh, like complete and total fandom for Beast Boy is is pretty hysterical. And I <laughs> like, I love oh that. Uh, oh my god! Why didn't you tell me you were meeting Beast Boy? <laughs> yeah, I love that Jaime is such a good sport about it. <laughs> What was the third couple? Uh, so who we got? We've got Perdita and Beast Boy. Uh, 13 and Jaime. So then... Was it Bart and someone? Um, is it Eduardo and... Well, I know he's got that thing going on with Wendy, the girl wearing the collar, but I don't know if she's the one that counts as like the couple. Because I, I, at one point, he's the one that like says it. Or is it uh, somebody ends up saying it to him? Like, dude, you need a girlfriend. But I can't remember who that was. That was probably Blue Beetle. I don't think it was Blue Beetle. I feel like it was like... Anyways, it was an interesting episode getting uh, Count Vertigo back and causing chaos for the team. There's a, yeah. uh, a lot of trickery going on. Well, you think it's Count Vertigo, which speaks to this whole illusion of control we get good old simon back everybody's favorite psychic 
always a headache, you could say. Yeah, and I maybe I just hadn't picked up on it previously, but uh, he clearly is now in a relationship with Devastation. Like, they're referring to each other as, like, baby <laughs> and stuff like that. Baby! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is, yeah. Pretty funny. I, I um, could... Yeah, I couldn't help it. I just laughed so hard at that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's nice to see. Like we kind of talked about with Icicle Jr. There, he appreciates the fact that his long-standing enemies have been able to stand the test of time. On the flip side of thing, I guess it, it only stands to reason that if our enemies spend enough time together, they're probably gonna form some relationships, and it makes sense that the brain and the muscle complement each other so well. How cute. <laughs> Yeah. Um so I, I'm trying to remember what was the whole purpose of the illusion. Why why did Simon want to pretend to be Count Vertigo? What was the purpose purpose of all that? Uh because they were trying to re kidnap the kids that they rescued. Oh right, right, right. So it was okay. a distraction that if Vertigo was after Queen Perdita, then the other metas would be exposed. Okay, yeah, and they would go in and kidnap them again. But they that makes sense. That. Okay, yeah, and that's just kind of like now that Gar is such a vocal and kind of like in such a leadership position, it makes sense that they would want to. I got a loud vehicle going by. Yeah, as I was saying, with Garfield being a more active like leader in a leadership position amongst the team and having like that gung ho um, tenacity for the fight. It makes sense that they would kind of target him and do something that throws him off yeah. mentally by, by targeting Perdita. So makes sense. So they were trying yeah. to have this field day with all the kids and everything and kind of get them comfortable and know that, you know, they're all friends that could communicate and talk to each other and this and that. Mm-hmm. So they were, they were really out in the public. Yeah. And then we did have the return. We didn't bring it up, but there was that character, which I, I'm not too sure about the, the name choice for a character of Holocaust, but Holocaust was the one that yeah. was uh, fighting Terra in the arena there initially. And then we get to kind of find out just how uh, bad a dude he is and how he just does this. Yeah, does he say he's doing it for the money? Or? Probably. Yeah. It wasn't fun in the name. It was a very interesting uh, character to choose to bring into this. Yeah, I gotta wonder, even if the character was created, like, I I can't think if, like, in the golden age of comics, it would have went over all that well. And then even, like, with the show coming out in 2019, you think they would have, like, come up with a different name, but, you know. Oh my god, have you seen um, Star Wars Rebels? I have not, not yet. Why do you bring it up though? I'm not too worried. So I'm on the but... I'm on the IMDb of this episode and I scrolled down to the um the trivia. Mm-hmm. And the character Henchy uses the face Carabast okay. after being struck by Perdita. Mm-hmm. This is an exclamation commonly used by Zeb Oriolos in Star Wars Rebels. Both characters are voiced by Steve Blum. Nice. That's uh That is awesome. <laughs> yeah. I that never cool. clicked to me when I was watching it. Yeah, I I bet it goes over a lot of people's heads, but it's it's definitely a nice little nod for anybody that's a fan of both 
series are just a, a big fan of Steve Bloom. So. Oh, that's funny. I got to see if Haley caught on to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, any other big takeaways from this one? I, is, is this the episode where uh, Violet comes clean to Tara and Brion? I think it might be. Um, no, I thought that was later. Eh, it might be later on. Yeah, no, that's later. That's actually um, two episodes from now. So okay. we finished Illusion of Control. We're done with First Impression. We got Early Warning, uh, which was a really disturbing episode. I'm really happy that we got to see Zatanna again, but um, we also got to see Clarion again. Oh, yeah. Good old Clarion. And what he's doing with the Meadows was just disturbing like molding them all together and all of them were like just screaming in unison and all it was just ugh I did not like it now anytime Clarion uh, is back on the scene it's it's one of those things I kind of do relish that he's just such a he is always enjoying what he's doing so much yeah. and it just gets broadcast so well with the character um, I, I always really enjoy it and his little familiar there. Come on, Diggle. <laughs> uh, let's see. You can see, you can see like that. There's, there's detail in the face structure of the show that he's gotten older too, but he still has like such a boyish attitude. Hmm. Well, he is the witch boy, so I mean, he's perpetually and eternally young. But Zatanna's gotten more and more capable at at dealing with him, and that was really nice to see. Even her when she like conjured the onk from like dr fate he's like you can't use that that's not yours just like how <laughs> petulant he was there was was really great i really love that stuff <laughs> and then he got stuck in the tower of fate and yeah like, that was a great gag have, <laughs> at the at, during the credits we always have like a good bit of like you know wolf sleeping or uh-huh. lobo's finger or something but this one is just Am I out now? Am I out? He's just snapping, but he's like eternally trapped inside of the tower. He's getting yeah. so frustrated. And then they catch meow. Are we out now? Meow. <laughs> yeah, that might be my favorite in credits gag we've gotten in the whole show yet. Yeah, it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I really enjoy what they do with the end credits on that. And that one, that one cracked me up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess on the other side of the things, I did mention, you know, um, Violet kind of dealing with the the knowledge that she's burdened with with Gabrielle's uh, previous actions and whatnot, but it puts her on a little bit of you know with the show being focused on teenage characters and whatnot, she gets the opportunity to show a little angst and whatnot. And uh, the character of Harper Rowe that we brought up comes back, and she drinks with her and shoots out on the beach, which gets her into a little bit of trouble with McGann. And we haven't really talked about McGann too much, but McGann continues to kind of serve that role that we saw Black Canary uh, fill in previously, where she kind of gets to be that den mother. Yeah. So, I mean, Black Canary kind of got brought up, too, uh, when they were talking about, like, the the kids who were going to those uh, meta-facilities and how Black mm-hmm. Canary was, like, available for any counseling. So it is nice to see uh, McGann step up into that role, but it's nice to see that there's still the constant of Black Canary fulfilling that role for the teenagers that are coming into the system. 
Um, mm. But she talks to Harper as well. Is this? Yeah, she does. Yeah, yeah. Harper? Yeah, she does. She does. Yeah. yeah. That was another one. Um, we we were talking about how there was a lot of um, things that were trying to make cultural norms mm-hmm. that this show was addressed and that this section is addressed. And that's another one where they had the therapy session and her like having to chip into Harper to tell her that her and her brother are being abused by their father and that this is happening and that they're scared yeah. of being in an orphanage and you know yeah, that was be... that was a rough scene that was really that was... well done and really powerful and they're they're doing a great job at just covering these social issues that are just unfortunately standard in our day-to-day lives yeah that was some pretty heavy character development for harper yeah especially just yeah that whole the her conflict the reason that she's hidden her father's abuse recovered for her father time and time again is because she doesn't want to get separated from her brother but somebody brings up the fact that this time her brother's bu- uh, bruised as well because she wasn't there yeah. to protect him, which is just, again, I've, I've said it earlier, but absolutely heartbreaking. And I'm glad that they, in a show like this, that will have like younger eyes on it. Um, it'll, it has a wide audience. We're watching it, but I'm sure there are people on the younger side as well. If there is anybody in that situation that, you know, doesn't necessarily, they feel trapped or something like that. I'm glad the show can yeah, show that there's always a, an opportunity to to seek help or yeah and we find out that uh violet's dying in this one oh right okay yeah so not only is she dealing with like the burden of the the knowledge that she has about gabrielle's previous actions yeah dr jace had previously taken one of her hairs from like a brush and finds that her cells are like rapidly decaying she's getting sketchy I am starting to have my, I I remember initially I did in those first few episodes where she, she was in Markovia, um, especially like playing such an active role in making sure Brion got his powers. But now she seems to have chilled out and actually cares about like Violet and Brion's relationship and whatnot. And even uh, Victor to some extent, like she's voiced a lot of like wanting to help Victor, but you do kind of have to wonder, is that, is that the science scientist in her wanting to toy with something she's never had access to? She's doing some things that are a little bit shady and her like relationship with Jefferson was like so fast and they haven't even really focused on that at all lately. Yeah. One relationship though, that we haven't really mentioned at all and it's not really a relationship thing. I am not sure how I feel about it yet is the whole will Harper and uh, Artemis. Like there have been a lot of people nudging them, like her mom. Yeah. And... Was, I don't know. Oh, was it the last episode where they were having like Thanksgiving dinner, and like the mom was there, and somebody mentioned mm-hmm. something about being on the team, and she's like, "You're doing what now?" And we, you know, we've since season one, we've had um scenes of Artemis's mom being just super upset because she doesn't want her to be in the same boat that her and sportsmaster were right so it's like dude do something better with your life like why are you in it's like look like this man that you live with is in love with you and it's like no that's not that we're just taking care of the kid together it's like oh yeah. please we all see it yeah well the character of Le- uh leon she's 
uh, in a wheelchair. And I thought it was kind of a, a nice acknowledgement when she talks about like what happened to her. And she's like, look at your friend, Barbara. Like, yeah, the last time in season two that we saw Barbara, she was not wheelchair ridden. And now she is. It's she like, was leading the team as Batgirl. Yeah, exactly. That one stung so. a little bit. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Because she was. She was Huntress, right? Artemis's mom. I think she's one of the versions of Huntress. Yeah. yeah. Not the Helena. I want to say Belova, but that's I'm getting my Marvel stuff mixed up. But uh, whatever uh, Huntress's name is, I know her first name is Helena. But then there is, a, like I said, I think there are three versions of, of Huntress out there. But yeah. Bertinelli. Bertinelli. There it is. Well done. Well done. Uh, were there any, I, uh, I guess Ed, Eduardo officially joining the Outsiders is, is worth mentioning. Yeah, that was a cool bit of um, him saying that him just talking about the stuff isn't going to influence the kids. He actually needs to show that there's a way to control your powers and do good with it. So he's he's doing it so that he can be a better role model. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and speaking of role models, Artemis had the opportunity to train with Tara, Tara, whatever we're calling her. And we already kind of talked about her relationship with Deathstroke, but I really did appreciate those like training sequences where Tara was like reflecting back on Deathstroke's kind of cruel and uh, unyielding training of her, which is. Artemis is kind of the perfect person to talk her through that with her dad being Sportsmaster. I always kind of feel like in this show that Sportsmaster was like the poor man's Deathstroke, but it's it's <laughs> kind of funny how often they're like compete. It's like Deathstroke, Black Manta, and Sportsmaster are all like at one point in time vying vying to be like the quote unquote most badass in the Young Justice world. Yeah, because they were all the enforcers of the light. There we go. That's why. Yeah, I knew there was a through line there. Um. <laughs> And you watch see... out, Lady Shiva. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's the newest one. Exactly. Uh, you see how much Artemis has learned from Black Canary and that too, in being mm. like the training leader, and then yeah, making her understand like why she's doing it because she sees that there is something, but she thinks it's because of the the, the little Fight Club that she was put in, mm-hmm. and not so. But she obviously doesn't know about Deathstroke, but her for her to be able to be like, hey, there is something deeper than this. We can get through it together but let's just train you know like yeah this is very yeah very evocative of those like uh in season one those like sparring sequences with superboy yeah uh, black canary good call yeah love it Mm -hmm. and the last thing that i have on this episode was um uh the girl who's who was forced to have her metagene shown was someone who can breathe underwater and swim and stuff good call yeah, yeah. Uh, that comes the, back later. It's the awesome Indian girl that I'm excited to see more of later. But yeah, um, Dolphin, you see that I they think... don't have you see that they don't have space in the facility, obviously, to care for a water breather. So the next episode really leads into Calderon helping her out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, I, I kind of when you mentioned that there was another Indian character, I was like, I was like, huh, I wonder who he's referring to. But yeah, it was kind of a funny thing. She was not able to speak for so long, and when she finally can, she's like underwater still so yeah he's flipping out she's yeah, like you speak hindi or am i speaking english or what's i was like we're just reading each other's minds but the fact that they specifically said hindi 
yeah. you know, to establish, you know, her culture and whatnot was really cool. Made me happy. Yeah. Dope. Dope. All right. Yeah. I think that's everything I've got for, uh, that was episode 18. So we'll move on to episode 19 titled elder wisdom. And this one's kind of, um, leans back into the trappings of like our, our heroes actually being miners. Yeah. So not only are they facing, um, opposition from Lex Luthor and his schemes, uh, but three of our heroes, chiefly Eduardo, Bart, uh, who else? Beast Boy. Is it Beast Boy? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, cause it, is it, uh, Who's, I'm trying to think of who's who's that woman that uh, is like naysaying him in that instance. Is that because uh, it's Jay Garrick telling Bart Allen not to do it? And it's is it the Themyscarian you're thinking of? Is it Troya? She was like on Facetime with Diana when she got attacked. No, yes, yeah, no, I do recall that scene, but she's not. Um... A mind-controlled metaphysic and a disguised Lady Shiva attempt to assassinate Troya, though she's able she's able to stop them with the help of Miss Martian, Halo, and Terra. In the plaza, the outsiders, now including El Dorado, fight the main group to save Garth and protect the other diplomats. Luther calls in the Flash per UN guidelines to make the outsiders look bad. Yeah, no, I remember that whole exchange, but uh, the part I was trying to to think of when basically it's the confrontation between like the young heroes and their parental figures, because it's like I was saying, it's Eduardo Sr. with Eduardo Jr., Jay Garrick with Bart Allen. I'm trying to remember who. Oh, it was Dr. Jace. Was it Dr. Jace? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't know why I I flubbed on that, but okay. What was her reasoning? I think just that they were like uh, public figures now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Eduardo Sr. didn't really come as a surprise. It seems like he and Eddie are like constantly butting heads for one reason or another. Yeah. Um, Jace definitely comes as a little bit of surprise, even though we've talked about maybe we're questioning some of her allegiances. But Jay. Oh, it was 13's mom. Oh, is that who it is? Okay. I think it was 13's mom. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, now, now I remember there being a mom in there. Okay. Yeah. But uh, I mean, either way, the point still stands. Uh, like you know, I was pretty surprised that Jay Garrick, being like a celebrated hero, would do anything but encourage. Uh, Bart. I Allen. think he's just at the point where he's just lost too many people. Yeah, I suppose so. I suppose so. But they come around on in the end, and uh, I guess the real through line there is that is the fact that these metahumans that have been kidnapped and whatnot, they, you know, they had families of their own, and that's that's kind of what the argument that they use to um, reaffirm and, and get themselves back in the fight. Cassie Sandsmark. Oh, it's Wonder Girl's mother. That's who it is. Uh, 
Helena Helena Sandsmark. That's who it was. Yeah, she's a bespeckled brown-haired woman, and she does kind of look like Helga Jace, but we've never seen her before. That's I don't think I've ever heard her last name before because I'm looking it up. I'm reading Cassie Sandsmark, and I was like, who's that? Oh, Wonder Girl. Yeah, okay, yeah. So it was Wonder Girl's mom, Eddie's dad, and Jay Garrick, yeah. So they're, you know, putting their foot down and saying you're, you're quote-unquote grounded. But then on the other side, you got Lex Luthor and his whole propaganda propaganda um, against the outsiders. So coming off of what we just talked about where Batman was able to get a good ground swell and nice public positivity going for the uh, the outsiders, Lex Luthor is pretty quick to uh, respond to that and have an, an answer. But uh, by the end of it, he actually, uh, Gordon Godfrey kind of claps back to him. It's kind of interesting to see like <laughs> Gordon Godfrey always has like these like nice relationships and rapport with our villains. Like I think back on the reach when he's all chummy, chummy with the ambassador, the reach up until the end there. And this is, this kind of reminded me of that as well. And actually he didn't really give granny goodness the time of day at all. He was kind of like on her from, from day one. <laughs> Gotta appreciate how unbiased he is. Yeah, yeah. There was one point in time where I I was fully convinced he was a member of the light or a puppet of the light, but that doesn't yeah. seem to be the case these days. So, I do have the uh, the dialogue where Wonder Woman's trying to scold Batman again because she's just getting fed up with all the behind the scenes stuff. Mm. Um, but the the line Batman says, "This is a war, Diana." Wonder Woman says, "Which side are we on? We're not simply hiding things anymore." gone beyond lying to our comrades in the public and now we're staging false offense false events creating fake news merely to make our opponents look bad or the outsiders and by extension the rest of us look good even with the best intentions that's crossing a line you must see that you must Mm. and like this this friction of like every time this you know little I guess the dark as Tim Drake called it makes progress like there's this budding of just kind of like they can't stand that they're doing it the way that they are even if it means they're winning mm-hmm. and they got that that ethical conundrum that the light doesn't really seem to care about or have yeah that seems to be the main thing that separates our heroes from our villains this season like the heroes they've even like acknowledged it out loud like they've had to adopt some of the lights tactics in terms of like splitting up the team and just like uh, it's everything yeah that you're, you're talking about that uh diana kind of calls out in previous um outings and whatnot but i do have to say just hearing fake news like still makes me cringe a little bit i have to say yeah well we'll move past that <laughs> <laughs> good good call good call um it, i'm trying to think about what else is worth mentioning. we got uh the return of ivo and his like monkeys and his androids and whatnot so just always nice to get the the through line there yeah thankfully superboy wasn't around for that yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, is this like the first time that we start to get that, uh, like the catchphrase, we are all outsiders? I think so. No, that was uh, at the end of the Reach episode. Oh, okay. That would stand Because it was a daughter that recorded for the first time. She was like live streaming the whole thing. Oh, okay. Okay. But now it's a thing. Now it's an established thing in this episode. Okay. But um, this is the one where uh, when Lex Luthor was like, look, a young boy got hurt in the whole episode. It was Bart just going, I'm fine. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> like, somebody mentioned it. He wasn't even on screen. It's like, yo, I have I'm fast okay. healing. That's the point. <laughs> 
yeah yeah that was definitely worth calling out that was great <laughs> yeah, we haven't gotten a ton of bart this season but he continues to be one of my favorites yeah, yeah. uh this is also the episode where uh violet tells brion about what happened with harper and then oh, okay he forgives them her forgive my lack of pronouns um he forgives Gabrielle, but then she was like, oh, well, while we're on this topic, yeah, I kind of killed your parents, too. And Tara was there as well for that conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Brianna just kind of leaves. Yeah. Yeah, rightfully so. I, I think he, he questions, like, how long she had known. So it's like, yeah, that coupled. The fact that she had some level of uh, culpability and then the fact that she had that knowledge and... uh kept it from him for so long i think is what really hurts him but he's a prince he's used to getting his way he has not always shown a lot of patience so it's a it's tough stuff to deal with i really feel for halo she's got a lot on her shoulders right now uh anything else to say about 19 elder wisdom uh i think this is where violet writes a letter and leaves too. She runs away. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right. That's it. All right. Well, now we move over to quiet conversations where Superboy really does end up on the most interesting adventures. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about Metron. Yeah. Um, Cyborg is going psycho again. And it's funny because like he's trying to keep his stress in check. And as soon as his dad Silas pops up, he flips out like just instantly. The virus was just kind of like, oh, yeah, this is a great opportunity. Just like slips in and causes chaos right away. Uh huh. And uh, Dr. Jace is trying to be as helpful as she can. But um, he's like, I'm his father. I'll be the helpful one. It's like, why start now? Right. Um, yeah. But Superboy talks to dreamer who we saw in season one and apparently they're not on good terms with um is it with metron oh yeah because he punched him or something you know oh, right earlier yeah. episode or bear punched him something like that yeah so she was like here's the mother box you can go find him and he tries to find they try to find metron i think it's superboy black lightning and one other uh let's see Superboy, Jefferson, and uh, Forager. Forager, okay. Yeah. Uh, to find Metron, who created the father and mother boxes, so he has the ability in his fancy chair to, uh, as they say, exercise the father box of spirit from Victor. Right. And it turns out when he shows up, he's just super fascinated with the science experiment part of it because he's never seen a father box like fully envelop a living being before. Yeah. And he's like, no, I'm just going to study this and watch him die. Yeah. It's kind of, uh, again, like alluding to the comics source material, uh, DC and, and Marvel were constantly like copying each other and one upping each other and, and, what so on and so forth but it is kind of funny we always like talked about with this show that uh young justice did it first and then even with like this character of metron it really did uh coming off of what if it kind of 
gave me vibes of the watcher where where the watcher at the end of the day when it, it came down to saving the multiverse he was willing to get involved and and help the heroes and do what needed to be done whereas metron is like this fully like detached from humanity and suffering like he just wants to observe and learn everything that that he can uh, yeah yeah i appreciated it and uh getting to see the source wall that was one of those things like i'm not uh super familiar with with everything in kirby's fourth wall but i know enough about it to know that like the fourth wall is kind of like in the realm of dc like that is kind of like the final barrier before you get into kind of like the stuff that exists outside of the dc multiverse it's kind of like if that makes sense it's kind of like there more watcher references yeah yeah pretty much dc did it first young justice did it first (laughs) (laughs) yeah but Um, uh, it, it it was nice to see Victor uh, be able to get a hold on that because in those opening sequences where Silas, you know, I mean, it's understandable he's being a concerned father, but he's constantly just been coming out it the wrong way. And here he's still doing the same thing and just watching the virus that like techno virus spread across Victor and seeing him like lose parts of more and more of himself is like truly like affecting. And uh, like with those like weird spines, like, tendrils trying starting to emerge mm-hmm. from his shoulders and whatnot just really makes him look that much more monstrous so I, w- I was really happy uh and relieved for him there at the end that he was able to get some level of control over it yeah he needs to quit being so casual about a medically induced coma <laughs> like yeah we're just gonna put you down no it's <laughs> not how you deliver that news uh. Um, I totally forgot about the fact that they interacted with Superman and Superboy was just like, oh, hey, while you're here, can you be my best man? I was like, yeah. Wait, what? And it's like, gotta go. Oh, right. Yeah. Little bro getting married before the big bro. Yeah. (laughs) Isn't Lois pregnant, though? Oh, is she? She might be. Wasn't she part of the babysitting episode? Uh, I don't recall that she was. Yeah, I thought she was one of the first people to knock on the door. Maybe. I don't. I, Who knows? There, it was a funny change. There were a lot of people there, but yeah, there a lot of people. There's a lot of people in the show. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, well, speaking of people in the show, outside of like uh, all those adventures with Metron and uh, New Genesis and the heroes we were discussing, we did talk about how Halo Violet Harper left her little note, so we did get to see go back to uh karak or bialio greater bialia i think is what they're calling it nowadays and visit uh gabrielle's family yeah that was a weird thing for her to have to explain yeah right and like the the father wasn't like accepting of his like what are you talking about like you're my kid but the mother kind of has that point of just kind of like you know what we have closure of what happened now hmm. which is you know yeah it kind of speaks to how selfless a character she is. Like, yeah, like you said, that has to be insanely awkward, but just to be willing to go through something that uncomfortable to give that family a little bit of closure is, is pretty heroic. So yeah. it seems like uh, she's definitely learned some things along the way. Cause it seems um, like, you know, Violet is actually going to die at some point too, based off what we know. Mm-hmm. Um, so for her to just be, have the opportunity to be like, Hey, I myself am not going to be here much longer. I want you to know what happened to your daughter. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. 
Now, uh, forgive me, my memory's a little fuzzy. I'm trying to remember what is it that brings her back into the fold? Violet? Yeah. It was why she ran away, because she knew that she was dying. So she told Brian she ran away from Titan's Tower and then decided to go to her family or Gabrielle's family to explain what happened. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to, is at the end of this episode, is she still out doing her own thing or is she back with the, the uh, she says bye to the family. And then this is, I think where we get the montage of, um, Calder taking the meta back underwater. Right. Uh, Tara was reporting to Deathstroke and yes. was like anything to report. She's like, no boring day. She smiles. So you see, she's kind of like enjoying the team's presence a little more. Okay. And I yeah. think this is the episode. Yeah. From what I'm seeing, this is the episode that McGann talked to Harper. So there was just kind of like, like an emotional montage of what every character was doing afterwards. But we didn't see too much of what happened to Violet after she spoke to her. Okay, yeah. The only thing I, I can see is in a description here, it says um, Jefferson and Helga are sitting together on the couch when Artemis, Tara, and Violet arrive through a boom tube. And then Helga hugs Violet and Brion and Violet make eye contact. So I'm trying to remember, did Tara and Artemis go get her? Or did she... All right, Artemis and Tara arrive in the bioship to pick up Violet, Tara, and Violet embrace. Because they probably went looking for her after they saw the note. Yeah. I mean, those are like her housemates, so it stands to reason that they would be the ones to... Or they were her her housemates before they moved. They all moved into the uh Oh, there the was tower. a scene where Tara tells everybody. There's like, okay. oh, where's Violet? I think Artemis asked, like, where's Violet? Like, oh, that's right, yeah, because she disappeared. Yeah, because she, yeah, because she's the one that says like she and Brion didn't react very well, her especially. Okay, so yeah, it's kind of like once uh, Tara kind of like shows that she forgives her, it, it kind of creates the bridge for the potential for um, Brion and, and Violet to kind of reconcile. But now she does have that additional information that she is dying. So, and I think this is the episode where. Um... Tara was with Artemis and they were with um no no that was a different episode yeah and I I will just I will say to the uh to the listeners I'll I'll do my best to edit out some of these flubs and whatnot but I do apologize if we're kind of like all over the place so this was a, a few episodes all to kind of tackle um all at once so like I said we're kind of fast and furiously trying to get through this to get to season four so um I think we've like talked about certain plot lines like ahead and whatnot, like I, I'm as I'm reading the um, description here, we talked about Harper Rose interactions with Megan Morse. None of that actually happened until this episode, apparently. So, yeah, which is one of the reasons it's, it's called Quiet Conversations. You have that conversation with Harper Rose and Megan Morse, Violet and Gabrielle and her mother and her cousin, Superboy and Superman, Aquaman and Dolphin, and then uh, Tara's inexplicable radio silence in regards to Deathstroke. And here's the thing, I I don't remember what episode it is, but it is worth bringing up. It was a scene where Artemis, Tara, Violet, and Artemis's niece were like sitting in bed and there was a thunderstorm. Oh yeah. And yeah. there was a point where the thunder kicked and 
Violet got scared. So Artemis mm-hmm. was like, you take the kid, I'll take care of this kid, referring to Violet. Right. And we got the flashback of like what Tara's relationship with her parents was like. Sure. And like all three of them like sitting in bed together. So her having that moment of being comforted by Artemis and being able to be comforting, that's mm-hmm. what led up to her sending the radio silence to Deathstroke. This was like the turning point between her conversation with Artemis and then having this experience of like family with everything. This is the closest thing she's had to family since her parents died. Okay. And I think this is what's the turning point of her actually appreciating the team and wanting, considering turning on Deathstroke. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to remember Tara when she has like that uh, that final report with Deathstroke. She says like everything's been kind of dull Boring. and quiet, but then she, she, yeah, then she smiles. I don't know if that's like a good smile or a yeah. bad smile. It seems like see. a good smile for me. Yeah, like she seems hopefully serene. It's, hopefully, it's not a Gretchen good smile. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, with on that on on that note, unless she had anything else you want to bring up about uh, this particular episode, I I'm ready to move on to nope, twenty one. You're invited to take a vacation from everybody else's vacation to a place where you can explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and see a sixty five foot waterfall that once powered an old mill that you can walk through today. Or just float along the cool, rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. See the places and plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdooradventure. Mississippi. Wanderers welcome. Okay, so yeah. Uh, on the subject of Gretchen Good, this is where we've talked about how Beast Boy has this knowledge that she's uh, obviously no good and is uh, her VR goggles are having a direct influence on... Um, hypnotizing potential meta meta humans and whatnot but this is where we have dick grayson and jefferson go directly after her which is pretty short-lived they get captured pretty quickly so then it turns into a rescue mission in which we get to spend uh pretty much the most amount of time that we've got to spend with caldor calder this entire season and uh we made the mention of his little um kiss that he shared with his new lover but this is the actual exploration of that uh, relationship and it never gets said out loud but i guess it's just explained that uh caldor is is bisexual i mean he's i don't know if we've seen him be well he was in a relationship with tila right he loved tila yeah okay so now he's got tula tila tula tula name's tula yeah what is tila from i don't know tila's from something anyway (laughs) (laughs) right if you know i don't know (laughs) Uh, is it futurama i don't know i think it is anyway um so yeah he's he's got this new lover wind and uh when he's communicating with oracle uh she says that uh why why is master of the universe say again he loves for master of the universe that's what it was that's what it was master of the universe (laughs) that's hilarious Tula Tila. Um, yeah, but uh, anyway, Aqu- Aquaman wants to do this rescue mission solo, but his lover Wind is pretty um, adamant that he's going to join him on the surface world there. Which uh, kind of becomes like a... I won't call it like a full-on haunted house, <laughs> but I did, 
I did like getting to like just spend so much time with Granny Goodness. I kind of talked about how I knew about the character from comics and whatnot, but it was really just a knowing the beats of like what takes place and whatnot. So actually getting to see her do what she does and like you have that that name granny goodness and like that's what we're gonna name like a fearful villain her name's granny goodness but she totally does just like brace embrace that whole like you've been disobedient so now you must be disciplined and now you must be punished and uh it is really good and i i found it pretty effective yeah she's one of those people i knew nothing about before young justice okay so Gretchen Good, she's a producer, everybody loves her, this and that. Like, okay, I I bought into that. And I I had the same response of like, she's tight with Desaad and works for Darkseid and is apocalyptic and what? Like, <laughs> none of that made any sense. But yeah, they do they do a good job of portraying that. But like when I saw the Snyder cut of Justice League and you see like all of them together and it's dark side and Desaad and then they're just grandma in armor. I was like, <laughs> who thought of that? It wasn't even like a cover up or anything. Like she didn't like pull back her face and actually look apocalyptic. It's just this grandma that just decided to be a savage. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Um, But one thing <laughs> totally forgot about. If you have like a nice sound system, turn off the sub for anything that's Overlord or Motherbox or BoomTube related because oh my god, does it make your house shake? Oh, like, <laughs> they, they do not hold back on their on all that. Oh yeah, uh, the boom, it, boom tubes are great. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just just makes you jump, especially if you have headphones or like dozing off or something. It makes you yep. jump out of your seat. Um, but it was I was laughing when you were explaining because it's it's just so funny how they keep saying, oh, Lord, the way that she does. And he mm. looks like so badass and giant, but he's just like this little mini thing chilling in a box. So it's like, hello, overlord. She's holding him like in his hands and he's just yep. sounding like so menacing and giant. <laughs> so teeny. <laughs> 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 it just always cracks me up. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it threw me off too because the episode's uh, called Unknown Factors. And it's like, yeah, this whole time she's calling on this like operator behind the scenes that seems to be able to, you know, move the walls and uh, and just manipulate the house and whatnot. So I, I had a similar reaction when he just ends up fitting inside of this nice little box. And when Oracle had that moment where she took him out and the box just kind of like landed on the ground, I was just like, okay, what? What is that? What's happening there? So certainly, yeah, when she popped it open, uh, I did not see that coming. So pretty funny, like the entire time it does a, a super close up on his face. And you yeah, you get this feeling that he's this big, looming, unstoppable force and he fits in the palm of your hands. Pretty, pretty funny. Yeah, that, that cracked me up. Um, on the other side of things, we get some characters that we have not seen in quite some time. Karen made a little uh, appearance at the baby shower or the gathering of uh, all the loved ones there where Amistad got to make that quote that still sticks out to me. There's a baby in there. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But this time we get Mal. We, I don't think we've seen Mal. If we have, he's just been in the background. He hasn't uh, played any kind of active role, but they are uh, traveling and her water breaks. So it goes from being a discussion about 
pot- potentially manipulating the genetics of their unborn child to, you know, get the child they want to actually having to do it because their daughter's born with a hole in her heart. So uh, Bumblebee does her thing, shrinks down, repairs the hole in the heart. But while she's down there, she did something uh, completely unexpected for me. And she actually alters her daughter's DNA. So we've talked about like the whole through line of the season being outsiders, but within the opening graphic, you get the earth changing to apocalypse. But at the same time, there's a DNA strand there. And obviously metahumans have been at the forefront of this, this series, but it makes me wonder how Karen's actions here, how they're going to contribute to the, the final episodes here, if it's going to be, a solution or something that might potentially be weaponized. Man, Matthew Fox at superhero ethics could have a whole episode just on this scene. No, oh, sure. Sure. <laughs> Man, the, the conversation about like, he could be a great pianist. He could be a genius. He could do this. Like our, our child could grow up with no problems at all. But like the fact that she actually acts on it mm-hmm. and we could potentially find out, the ramifications of something so big, like, oh, yeah, it's it's very heavy, very heavy, oh. especially when it comes to a newborn. Hmm. Oh, that was a lot to unravel. Yeah, I mean, I won't pretend to know what it's like to be a mother that's just given birth, but I really felt for Karen. You know, when uh, they're there celebrating the the birth of their daughter. They didn't know what the gender was going to be. And then they get the revelation that it's their daughter. And then very quickly, the, they don't even get to hold her and she's being rushed away and they know something's wrong. Like, I think that really motivated her in that moment. Like if she could do anything to protect her daughter and make her life, her daughter's life better, she was going to do it. So, um, again, I don't and know for, if it was for her there. to have just given birth and then have to go yeah. straight to a mission. Oh yeah. Like they, dude, she must have been exhausted. Yeah. They harp on that a lot and it's kind of a source excuse me, a source of comic relief where the nurse is like I always take the baby out of the mother, but I've never put the mother in the <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, some good dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. Um on the subject of comic relief though, I do have to um acknowledge the fact that uh Beast Boy uh had a little run in with condiment King, which Geoforce definitely gets a kick out of. I love that little <laughs> nod there. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. Um, I'm trying to think. So we, we covered the rescue of uh, Jefferson and Dick from granny goodness. Um, and then we had Mal and Karen. Uh, what was, what were the rest of the team? Wait, for which team? Just the uh, the rest of our various uh, members. So uh, we just talked about Geoforce. Oh, Violet and uh, Cyborg came to rescue Calder. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's correct. Yeah. Because their like internal mother boxes started like triggering, and they were the ones who. Because when Nightwing and Lightwing, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Nightwing and lightning were rescued by calder they were under brain control too so they started fighting their friends yes but there was like an instinct that clicked to uh victor and violet and that's when they showed up to the scene 
they Correct. cleaned out uh, Dick and Jefferson's brains. Right. And then that's right. when Granny experienced Violet for the first time and reaches out to Darkseid to say that she found the anti-life equation inside yeah. Halo. Yeah, because she recognized the dun, power of dun, the old gods. Dun. Yeah. Because of the language, too. Because we've right. seen her, like, put that, you know, that spell dialogue that um, Dr. Fate and Zatanna and, like, all the the wizard, the, the all the sorcerers use. Mm-hmm. So the, we've mentioned that, too, the fact that she uses that dialogue from time to time, but the fact that it's actually being recognized to this extent now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a, a great point. I'm I'm glad you brought that up because it also does make me think of uh, Violet's relationship with Brionne. Uh, there are the opportunities where Helga kind of instructs Brionne about how to, you know, receive her a little more openly, which actually ends up working out. But we've echoed, we've we've voiced these um, suspicions about her. Helga, Dr. Jace's ultimate allegiance is here, and this is where she sends a text to an unknown third party at, at this point in time, but she says she needs to get her kids out um, and that they say arrangements are basically being made. So she certainly has something else going on. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, Dr. Bum. Jace's contact is revealed to be the Ultra Humanite. Who is that again? Ultra Humanite. Oh, okay, yeah, that was the guy that looked like uh, Gorilla Grodd. Ah, right. yeah. It's not Gorilla Grodd, but he looks like Gorilla Grodd. Right, okay. He's a gorilla with an exposed brain and a giant machine yeah. gun. Uh, yeah. Oh, the... Cahoots! She's Cahoots. shady! Yeah. She's She's been shady for a while now. I'm glad they didn't make us wait too much longer for that. But... Um, I did want to make mention with Kaldor and Wind like in their flirtations and stuff like that and talking about how they can protect each other uh Wind gets like the kind of dig where he's like you know I went to the same military training you did and I also didn't drop out of my sorcery so then there's that moment where they do exit like the protective cube and go out into the X pit and they're being subjected to like the same apocalyptic like dark side energy um he gets to use when he gets to use his magic and to kind of repel a little bit. And he tells Calder, you know, that the magic helps a little bit. So yeah, nice to, to see that, uh, that through line brought up from like all the way back in season one, right. When we saw Mara yeah. running the school. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. We saw, uh, like the Aquaman, the Aquaman, the King of Atlantis. In this episode? Yeah. When? When he reaches Atlantis to drop off Dolphin, he goes, finds Wind, and then they both approach Aquaman, and then Aquaman actually has the dialogue of, like, I needed to take care of the kingdom, and being a oh, king yeah, is yeah. a full-time job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that wasn't this episode. This was one of the previous episodes, but yes, yes. I thought you were talking about in this episode. Yeah, I do recall that. Yeah, we got to see... No. Um, and that's when they called him King. They didn't call him Arthur. That's when they called him King Orm or something like that. Orm. Right? Not, it wasn't King Orm because Orm is his brother, but it was something with an O. I thought Orin was his brother. Orin. No, Orm. Orm is the ocean master. So I think he is Orin. I think you're right. It's, it's Orin. Jesus Christ. 
Sorry, <laughs> go back and forth like that. But yeah. Orm, Orm is definitely the ocean master. I know that for. I could have sworn this was the episode that he ran into him, though. I don't think so because this one kind of picks up with like Dolphin already being like actively in the proceedings, and it's like uh, I think it picks up right there where Wind is like Dolphin was a, a good name for her because like dolphins are like the healing creatures or something to that effect. I, I'm pretty confident about that. I think we saw Aquaman in a, in a previous episode. I don't think it was this episode. Because like, as soon as you see Aquaman, he has that brief exchange and then Oracle's basically contacting him. And... Hmm. But I could be wrong. Oh, <laughs> uh, let's see. I'm just being obnoxious now. No, you're good. <laughs> uh, I did like the fact that they were committed to saving the mother box as well. It was kind of like they almost got out of there. Like, like Granny seemed like she was gonna, you know, hold up her end of the bargain. It's like you can, if you step outside of this cube, you're welcome to get them. I mean, they were brainwashed, so obviously she had a trick up her sleeve. But um, she doesn't want to let the mother box go so much that she's willing to to kill it. And uh, our heroes won't allow that, and they actually have another mother box in their possession. So. Curious to see how that pays off. It's called Poseidonus instead of Atlantis? I think it's like the Seven Kingdoms of Atlantis, and that might be one of those reasons we speculated about why Kaldor was serving as Aquaman, and obviously what you said, he could not unite the Seven Kingdoms and serve as Aquaman and King at the same time. Uh, but yeah, I think we saw that in the movie. Like You had um, Dolph Lundgren's character was like, the leader of, I think it might have been Poseidonus. And then, and then he got called when he was in Shearis. Wow, they really got like deep with the wording in this. Yeah, that they do. Huh. Um. So fascinated right now. Hmm. Yeah, I don't. Oh, I don't it is Orin. Else. His wife is Mira. His brother is Orm, and his son is Arthur. Okay. Oh. Apparently, this episode had a post-credit scene. Yeah, that was when he or when Granny told Darkseid that. Oh, she found okay. The yeah, 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 yeah. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Okay. Yes, yes. Yes, yes, Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so I guess like the major. This was a lot. Ma- yeah, it was. It was, and yeah. Thanks for everybody like bearing with us and being uh, patient with our with our coverage here. But um, just to kind of put a, a cap on it, I guess like the major through lines going forward here are we have you know Karen's actions and whether or not she um, ethically manipulated her daughter's genes. What kind of ramifications that's going to have on. Uh, the heroes and villains going forward. Obviously, Granny reporting to Darkseid that she has the anti-life equation. Uh, for those of you that don't know anything about Darkseid, that's basically his whole deal. He is looking for the anti-life equation. That is his end goal. That is his in, that is his infinity gauntlet. That's what he's all about. So, um, and then yeah, with uh, with Doctor Jace, her contacting um somebody to take care of violet and brion and i guess tara would probably 
be included. But well, and then there's another thing there too: Terra with Deathstroke. Uh, we'll have to see how all these things pay off. It's a 26 episode season, so we've got five to go. Whoop. And then we can dive into season four, Phantoms. Yes. I'm hoping, Woo-hoo. hoping, 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 time permitting, we can cover all the episodes up until now, and then hopefully do like a weekly thing so that the we're a little shorter and straight to the point, and yeah. you know, sharing our shock on each thing. I think that's entirely reasonable. It'll be nice to, yeah, be actually covering. And the both of us won't it's... know what's happening. Like I'm starting yeah. to remember things as we go, but like we'll both be blind to it. For sure, for sure, yeah. And, and it'll be nice to, to yeah, TJ just kinda... and Andrew and all you wonderful listeners who've been writing in. Like, thank you so much for. I know there's a lot of people who like never even heard of this show until we started talking about it. So, like, for sure, for sure. And then, yeah, it'll just be nice to be able to tackle like fewer amounts of episodes at a time and really get into the nitty gritty details. Because as, as great as this has been, I do feel a little bad for having to like gloss over certain things. Like we had the best laid plans when we first started making this podcast and focusing on young Justin and I, I will take full responsibility. That's on me. Um, I, as, as the show has been going on, I've, I've been excited to cover a lot of different things, but it's my first podcast that I've actually like led and everything like that. So I appreciate everybody's patience and um, learning and growing with me, but uh, we want to bring you the best content available in young justice is some of the best stuff. So thanks for being along for the ride. Glad we do you hear anything else you want to say before we get out of here? I'm really tired. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can't. I've been waiting two years for season four. So I'm, but I don't want to get ahead to it because I want to make sure that these parts are like given the justice it deserves. So I'm very excited to just be caught up and just go back to loving and geeking the show on a weekly basis. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. Right on. It's a good note to end on. All right. So stay whelmed everybody. Uh, I guess if we just want to like tease some things, I know you're very, very excited about the light year trailer teaser trailer that just got dropped. So, uh, we've we'll probably do some kind of reaction to that. My heroes yeah. in theaters this weekend. We're, there you go. It's Thursday, October twenty eighth, as we're recording this. My mm-hmm. heroes in theaters this weekend. Third movie, non canon from my understanding. First one was awesome. Second one was pretty good. I like going to the theater, and I like my hero, so I'm just excited. Yeah, we haven't covered it officially on the show, but my hero academia has quickly become one of my favorite animes in a short amount of time so uh when the time comes we will certainly give it some attention but yeah check that movie out i uh do you have the title is it like something missions or no hero missions or something like that stand by yeah okay my hero academia world heroes mission all right i had some of the words (laughs) (laughs) so scrambled them All right, everybody. God, their uh, suits look so cool. Yeah, yeah. That's one of that's one of the nice things about that show is the evolution of the of the costumes and the powers, and just watching these heroes grow into their own, much like in Justice. Oh, that was another thing I wanted to say is I feel like this world happening in Young Justice is like fifty years before my hero. Oh, cool. Yeah, actually, especially that with the like the genetic <laughs> manipulation stuff. Like, I think that's what's leading to the whole world being uh, metas. 
Karen's actions gave birth to the world of My Hero Academia. I like it. Yep. <laughs> All, All right. for one is coming soon. <laughs> that's, that's scary. That's scary. Okay. Uh, I think that'll do it for us here today. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in. That's T-O-O-N-I-N. Stay whelmed. Boom. Thank you for listening to the Animation Deliberation Podcast, a proud member of the Stranded Panda Network. If you would like to contact us, you can email animationdeliberationpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at animationdelib1. For this and other great shows, you can visit strandedpanda.com or join the great community that is the Stranded Panda Chat Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash svchat. Tune in next time, and remember... Drew and Jonathan Scott here to tell you that American Family Insurance wants to protect your dreams. So whether you're at home singing in the shower, every note, or prefer singing your heart out in the car like Drew, cruising, you can save up to 23% when you bundle your home and auto insurance with American Family Insurance. Get a quote or find an agent at amfam.com. Insure carefully, dream fearlessly. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Stay whelmed.